You're listening to an Imagine More podcast. The presentation you're about to hear was recorded as part of the 2021 Get That Good Life Conference. We've split this session into three parts. This is part two. So the second part of the presentation leads me to this notion of having a well-thought-out goal as part of your child's plan can really support access to the same learning and help avoid being given something else to do. And when I first was putting this together, I I was going to say a well-written goal, and then I changed it. And the reason why I changed it is when we think about the physical plan, we can get very bogged down in the detail. And I know that you're participating from around the country. So some of you will be used to the term IEP. Some of you will be used to the term ILP. Some of you will be used to the term NEP. We have got so many different names for the plan, the individual plan for your child, that I don't want us to get locked into the structure of what that looks like. I just want us to think about what is the purpose of a goal? The purpose of the goal is to support your child's learning and it's also to support your vision for your child. Um, And if you want some more information about, you know, developing a good ILP, NEP, IEP, etc., Imagine More do have a a webinar recording on their website um, that we worked on together last year um, and I think I put that as part of the Padlet as well so you can jump in there and have a look at that if you want to. But this one is for us to really think about what is the purpose of the goal and looking out for the pitfalls. So a well-thought-through goal, you will be able to notice how it creates opportunities to give access to learning. And likewise, an ill-thought-out goal will potentially risk your child or, or your student that you're working with being given something else to do. So... This caption here, I'm sure you've seen this before. This is from Michael Giangreco, Island in the Mainstream. We have a cartoon of a very traditional classroom here, students sitting in rows. Then there's a little moat and a palm tree and a student in a wheelchair sitting um, at a desk with his teacher's aide. And the caption, Mrs. Jones and Mrs. Cooper are still trying to figure out why Fred doesn't feel like a part of the class. So this happens. And when you look at the little graphics down the bottom, what we're trying to do is make sure that Fred is involved in the same learning. Having Fred in the class doing a different activity is not inclusion. Having a well thought through goal can support Fred work in the class um, equally with his peers. So an individual goal needs to be, so it needs to describe what your child needs to learn. It needs to be clear and it needs to make sense to you and it needs to make sense to your child. You need to know what you're working towards. So again, that needs to be very clear. What is it that your child is going to be working towards? And it also needs to be individual to your child, personalized to your child. If you have a goal or if you're talking about a goal with parents or with with teachers, that sounds like curriculum, that sounds like a maths goal or sounds like something everybody else would be doing in English, then it doesn't need to be part of an individual plan. Um, That's curriculum. So that's something to watch out for. 
Um, if the what, the how, and the why of an individual goal are not clear to you, then my advice would be you just keep asking questions. And we're going to have a chance to practice this a little bit later on. The other thing that's really important to think about is that any decisions around goals for your child or for a student you're working with need to be agreed on by all parties. So that includes your child. Um, and I recently came across a fabulous resource um, from Core Education in New Zealand, and I put it in the Padlet, and the resource is entitled, Who's at Your Table? And there's a graphic and a video explanation in the Padlet, and I think it's a great question to ask. Is everybody at the table a person who's going to be impacted by the decisions that are discussed or made at that table? And if they're not, how are you going to get them to the table? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But the message here is that it is important that in some way or other, everyone, including your child, is involved in that goal setting. So this is an opportunity for me to ask you what your experience is around um, the, the goal setting process for your child or for your student or for the, the children who are in your care, who you're working with. So I've got two questions here. How involved is your child in setting their own goals? And the second question, how well does your child understand their goals? We'll share the results for the first question. Um, how involved is your child in setting their own goals? So rarely seems to be um, the, what, 100%. Okay, right, so that's interesting. Um, so if, if we can share the response to the second question, um, how well does your child understand their goals? Again, we've got rarely most, oh, sorry, some idea, I don't know. Yep, a vague idea, no idea really well. Okay, so nobody yet has selected that their child knows their goals really well. Okay. Predominantly, 50% some, some idea. Okay. So it is important because at the end of the day, the goals that are being set for your child, if they don't know what those goals are, how do they know what they need to be working towards or what's being put in place, what strategies are being put in place for them um, to use those strategies and help achieve their goal? Okay. So I have got some examples for you. Um, I'm going to share some goals with you that I have lifted straight from um, some IEPs that I have been involved, well, I have, that I have seen, let's put it that way. So I've got three goals that are specifically related to developing literacy skills. And I would like you to read the goal and give it a rating out of five about the quality. So a one-star rating means it's no good. Um, the goal is confusing, unrealistic, relates to curriculum. Through to five, it's a great goal. It's really clear. It's meaningful. It's achievable. And it supports access to the curriculum. Don't overthink this. This is meant to be a bit of fun, um, but to really illustrate that point about a well-crafted goal, how that supports access. Okay, here we go. So Mark will improve his communication skills. We've got an another caption here. I'll just share it with you. In this caption, we've got the mum on the left. Um, don't you think this goal is a bit vague? Mark will improve communication skills. And the teacher responding, no, that way it can mean whatever you want it to. 
and will never have to change the IEP. I've used that goal for Mark for the last five years. So is that a good goal or is that um, not a helpful goal at all? Is it no, is it no good? And then I'll move on to the next literacy goal for you to have a look at. And in this example, we've got a goal for Marie. Marie will form all letters correctly 100% of the time. So again, use the rating and how will you rate that goal for Marie? We've got one more goal to look at and this is for Akash. Akash will understand simple sentence structure using capital letters, appropriate spacing and full stops. Okay, so let's, ha let's have a look. Mark will improve his communication skills. Predominantly, people have rated that one as pretty poor. I agree. As the, the cartoon itself alluded to, that's a goal that can last you a lifetime. It's really not giving Mark or the teacher or the parent any indication about how Mark's going to achieve that goal or what that goal will even look like by the end. If we look at the next one, Marie will form all letters correctly 100% of the time. Okay, again, um, it's weighted predominantly as, as a poor goal. I would, I would agree with that. It is, it is a poor goal because it's restrictive. So if, if she has to form her letters perfectly all of the time, does that risk Marie being given writing practice as something else to do while everyone else is writing a story? Because um, if Marie's writing isn't very clear, um, is that seen that she must write clearly with her letters formed correctly before she's allowed to write creatively? Um, so all of these are taken out of context. Um, and as I said, this is just a, for a way to think about, um, is there a, a potential that this goal could risk your child being given something else to do? And I think in this case, uh, yes, it does. Um, and then let's have a look at the results for Akash's goal. Okay, so this, there's a broad range here and most of you um, have sort of sat in the, sat in the middle. Okay, that, that's, that's fair enough. And I said without the context, um, you really don't know what this is looking at. I put this goal in here, though, as an example of this is something that is really about, I mean, if Akash is at primary school, it's, this would be something that's worked on through the English curriculum. Does it need to be a separate goal? Using capital letters, spacing and full stops. That's something that we would expect all primary students would be working on. Does it need to be a separate goal? Does it present a risk that Akash will be given writing practice to do as something separate from um, the other activities that might happen in a, in a literacy block? Um, so I think it's good that that one is, has quite a, a, a broad range because it shows that maybe there's some more context that could go to that, but definitely questions to ask. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the PowerPoint presentation and we're going to have a look at some numeracy goals now. So we've got three numeracy goals, same process. I'll try and go through this a bit quicker this time. Um, so just instant reaction when you read this one. Tamika will identify numbers one to five with 75% accuracy. And then I'll move on to our second goal. Tom will independently be able to record numbers 1 to 50 with no backwards upside down numbers 80% of the time. I'll just read that one again because it's a bit wordy. Tom will independently 
be able to record numbers 1 to 50 with no backwards, upside-down numbers 80% of the time. And then we'll go on to our third goal. Josh will use appropriate terminology to describe and symbols to represent mathematical ideas to solve word problems. Josh will use appropriate terminology to describe and symbols to represent mathematical ideas to solve word problems. And then if we can bring up your um, the, the charts from your ratings, it will be interesting to see how you scored this one. So with Tamika, okay, again, we've got predominantly scored it low. I, I would agree. I think this is a, a poor goal for Tamika. Um, it does describe um, what would have to be taught from the maths curriculum. Also, it's very limiting. Numbers one to five. Does this mean, does it run the risk that Tamika will be given a separate counting activity off to the side to practice one to five while other students are, are learning? Maybe they're working with fractions or integers, but Tamika could be learning one to five in the context of fractions or, or integers. So the way this is, um, has been crafted, this goal runs the risk of Tamika doing something else. And with 75% accuracy, uh, I think we'd want her to have 100% accuracy. Um, but we'll talk about percentages in a, in a moment. So let's look at the next goal. Tom will independently be able to record numbers. So there's quite a spread there. Again, I look at that one and I this is very restrictive for Tom. It's very, very specific. Um, it, it's actually setting him up to fail. Because what if he does have his numbers upside down? Does that mean he has to go back and do it again? So we really need to think about when we lock students into perfection, are we actually locking them into lots of practicing the same thing over and over again? Um, and then the last one with Josh, yeah, using appropriate terminology. Um, so again, it's weighted towards a poorer goal, um, although I think more of you were um, unsure about this one scoring it in the middle. I look at this one as being a curriculum goal. Um, this can be covered as part of the maths curriculum. Differentiation within the maths curriculum doesn't need to be an individual goal. So we're going to go back to the PowerPoint presentation and I've got three more goals to share with you. The following goals are related towards developing positive behaviour. Our first goal here is for Sarah. Um, I thought this was quite appropriate for me. Sarah will follow all instructions 100% of the time. And the next one, Jan, will sit at the table with her feet on the floor then in a way that supports and doesn't interrupt peers. So obviously I have changed the name, but these goals are real goals that I've taken from IEPs I've seen. So Jan will sit at the table with feet on the floor in a way that supports posture, doesn't interrupt peers. And then the last behavior-related goal, Jared will initiate and maintain positive interactions with teachers, teachers' aides, and peers. And then we'll jump to the poll and have a look at how you scored them. I can see already, absolutely, it is ridiculous. No child will follow all instructions 100% of the time. I think he'd probably be concerned um, if, if that was if that was the case. So it's an unrealistic goal. Also, I just wanted to say the 100% of the time is, I think, 
you know, when we try and always put uh, a numerical measure in, we sometimes end up with measures that aren't helpful at all. Anne gave me a lovely example, um, Anne, who's moderating today, that I'm good to share with you, a goal that was, Lucy will cross the road safely 80% of the time. So in terms of that being a SMART goal, it ticks all the boxes, but wouldn't we want Lucy to cross the road safely 100% of the time? So that that's just a warning for you. If you've got measures in percentages in any of your goals, is to really think about, is it meaningful? Is it actually going to be helpful to um, measure this goal if you've got those percentages? So we can move on to the next poll. Yep, again, it is a poor goal. It actually is setting Jan up to fail. Um, and it's just really not very helpful at all. Um, and if we can go on to the last goal for Jared, yes, again, it's so broad and setting Jared up to fail. So it's also all about Jared. Jared's got to do the initiating of the contact. He's got to maintain the contact and he's got a lot of different people that he needs to be doing that with. Um, this was actually a goal for a, a young primary age student and it really doesn't help identify what the goal for Jared is. It really does set him set him up to fail. So I will go back to the PowerPoint. So you you see there was a bit of a theme to those um, to those goals. They were uh, they weren't great goals. They were limiting. They did set opportunities for the child to be given something else to do. So if you're in a situation as a teacher or as a parent and you think that goal is not really giving me or my child or my student any guidance, keep asking questions. And the what, the how, the who and the when questions are really important. Um, and I'm going to share some examples with you now and give you the opportunity to have a go at asking some questions too in relation to a goal. So first of all, we're going to go back to the very first goal we looked at around Mark and him improving communication. Um, that goal we all agreed was very, very broad, too broad. Um, and so what would be the questions that you could ask? Um, so if you're at a collaborative planning meeting or even just in conversation with a teacher, with a parent, um, you really want to understand, well, what are we working towards? So some of the what questions you might ask are, what does Mark need to learn? What are the skills he needs to learn? And then you might ask some how questions. You want to know how you're going to go about doing that and who's going to be involved. How will Mark be taught these skills or strategies? How will he know if he's been successful? How will we know if he's been successful? And then the really important when questions, when do we expect Mark to achieve this goal? Um, I think the when question uh, for parents is a really important question to ask, and it can really help refine a goal that seems to have no end point. And I would suggest when you are looking at goals for your child, you're looking in terms of semesters and no more than a school year because you want the teacher who's or the teachers working with your child at that time to be heavily invested in supporting that goal. So in my next slide, I've actually answered some of those questions. Um, and then in a moment, we're going to have a go at doing that um, together. 
So up at the top, instead of Mark will develop his communication um, skills, I've changed the goal to Mark will select up to three cells on his AAC device to compose a text independently. And how did I get to that revised goal? By asking the who, how, what and when questions. Sorry, by answering those questions. So one of the what questions was Mark is learning to compose a response with increased detail. Ah, so now I know what we're getting at. Asking the question helps you refine the purpose of the goal. The how and the who. Okay, so Mark needs to learn key vocabulary and concepts related to each subject, and these need to be uploaded to his iPad. One of the things I often see um, poorly crafted uh, individual goals is all about what the student will do, and it doesn't have any um, guidance for the the teacher or um, the family about what they can do to support the goal. So, you know, if Mark's at high school, that's really important that the subject's specific vocabulary is uploaded to his iPad and the when. So we want to see that by the end of the semester that he is using three cells on his um, AAC device to compose a sentence. So we are going to have a go at doing this ourselves. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to uh, have a look at the goal that you rated as the worst goal out of all of those. You selected Sarah will follow all instructions 100% of the time as the worst goal. Um, So as a group now, let's start to ask if that's something that you're presented with. Um, a strategy to reshape that and get to the point of um, what is the goal we're working towards. We need to ask some what questions. So what do you want to know? What I'm trying to do here is start to model the importance of those collaborative conversations that we have between families, um, schools, and healthcare professionals. We don't always all have to have the right answers or know the answers, but asking questions together can really help us work in genuine collaboration to um, to come up with much better goals for for our learners. Okay, so she needs to follow instructions, but we want to know which instructions. Is that instructions to start an activity? Is it instructions for behaviour? Good question. How will we support Sarah differently to help understanding? Great question. Um, are we talking about written or verbal instructions? What is the benefit of Sarah always following instructions? Where is her independence? Yes, absolutely. So that question really challenges that notion of 100% all of the time. What skills will Sarah need to develop to follow instructions? You are on fire. Well done, everybody. This is great. What are we trying to teach Sarah? Yes. And a question like that, it's not confrontational, um, but it does open up the conversation. It's, you know, what is the what is the point of what we're trying to get to here? What has worked previously to support Sarah? Yep, great question. What barriers does Sarah have to understanding instructions? That is a very UDL-based question. Um, the barriers are in the environment. What are the barriers and how do we remove them? That was a great question. So now we're asking our how and who questions. So what would you want to be finding out now? about how is Sarah going to go about this? How are the parents or staff working with Sarah going to support her? Um, so that also leads into the into the who. 
Um, as I mentioned before, it's so important to include everybody as part of the strategy. I think the worst IEPs I see are when it's all about learner and it doesn't capture um, the support that needs to go in place to help them be successful. Um, is it going to be verbal or visual? So, so how, how will those uh, instructions be given verbally or visually or a combination? Um, could following instructions 100% of the time be dangerous for Sarah? Um, that's a very good question to ask. What instructions is she not following? Yep. So let's get to the, let's really get to the how. How is she going to follow instructions? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. No kids follow instructions 100% of the, the time. How can we model this? Okay. Great. So that, so that question there, I think is re- how can we model this is really getting to the nitty gritty of, you know, Sarah may need more than one adult at school to know how to do this. Um, and modeling that uh, will be important. Verbal and written instructions. Yeah. How will instructions be given? Who is going to help her understand this goal? That is so important. We can do all of this stuff to and around a child, but if they don't know how or why they're supposed to be using these visuals, um, we've missed an important piece of the puzzle. How does Sarah feel about the task? That is a great question. Is Sarah at the table? Is she involved in this one? How will Sarah receive instructions? Okay, and you're on fire. Let's keep them coming in. And while you're finishing off your how and who questions, let's move on to the um, the final one, the when. So we'll go to the last part. Um, and again, just ask some generic when questions. So at the moment, we've got this open-ended goal that will, would actually would take a lifetime uh, and beyond to, to achieve. So what are some of the when questions, if that makes sense? So when will Sarah achieve this by? Um, that's, that's certainly one question you could ask. And as I mentioned before, the when as a parent is so important, so important to make sure that, that there is real purpose to that goal at this point in time. Um, and it's a nice strategy for parents to really refine that goal into something that can be worked on and can be measured. Um, the other thing with measurement, we talked about using percentages, you know, can sometimes be a little bit arbitrary or Sarah will count, you know, or turn her head to the left five times out of seven. You know, does it matter if I do it five times out of seven or seven out of seven? That, you know, those are questions to ask. But the reason why um, I think the when question is important is it really gets you thinking about measuring. When you get back together to review progress towards this goal, what are you going to measure? It's got to be more than a feeling. Is it monitoring the, the amount of support Sarah requires and you're hoping to see that over time the amount of support and prompting she needs is reducing because she's becoming more successful? Um, this is a really important column to start to um, to drill down into that. I've got a video of a young man here, Christopher Hills, and this is to really um, exemplify why it is so important that we have those high expectations and least dangerous assumption. This video really illustrates how with the right mindset and the right technology, the sky really is the limit. 
At this point in her presentation, Sarah played a video featuring Christopher Hills. The link to the video is in the show notes. I'm a huge fan of Christopher Hills and I've been following him for years now on Twitter and he has a pretty extensive YouTube channel as well. Um, so if you're looking for more inspiration around use of technology, definitely look out for Christopher's work. You've been listening to an Imagine More podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And go to imaginemore.org.au for more great content.